using this okay just to make sure okay hi um welcome to the maintainers abstinence is the most important thing in my life without exception workshop meeting my name is doreen i'm a compulsive overeater and your moderator for this meeting please thank you please join me in the serenity prayer god grant me the serenity to accept the things i cannot change the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Uh, before we get started, we ask that all, phone, all phones or other elect- electronic equipment be turned off, even if you think it's off, please make sure. The session is being taped. All participants are required to sign the release form. Am I supposed to read this? Okay. To protect our anonymity, no photography audio or visual recording is allowed. The opinions expressed here today are those of individual OA members and do not represent Region 2 or Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. Please remember, OA members affiliated with related facilities or other 12-step programs are requested to speak on their recovery in the OA program only. An Ask It basket will be circulated for the question and answer portion of the session. If there is any press in the room, please respect our anonymity by not taking any pictures, using a video camera, or using our full names. We also want to make sure that there's an announcement being made that we have a silent auction and a boutique going on here upstairs in the Scalini room. And um, we also do have a dinner ticket available for sale. That's $45. If anybody's interested in purchasing that, let us know. Um... The format for this session is as follows. Three speakers will share for 20 minutes each, followed by questions and answers. An Ask a Basket will be passed around. Please place your questions in the box for our panelists. Again, the topic is maintainers. Abstinence is the most important thing in my life without exception. And our first speaker is Sherry. Maybe it's just not. Well, I'm Sherry, and I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, Sherry. They uh, did want you to talk into the mics so that it could be recorded, so I don't know if that's going on. Uh, anyway, I came into the program in December of 1984, and this December it'll be uh, 30 years, and uh, I was 39 when I came in, and I'm 68 now. And uh, my high weight was 175, and I'm 120 now, so maintaining a 55-pound weight loss. And, uh, you know, the topic is uh, maintainers, but uh, or maintenance, maintenance, based on maintenance. And, you know, it was never, um, I... Uh, it, w- it was never uh, a consideration of mine uh, before program. And um, like in the early days, you know, I uh, when I started to gain weight, I just um, would go on a diet. And um, uh, the idea was to lose weight and get to an acceptable weight. And then, um, and then, so I could eat again and eat the foods I want to eat, you know. And I would... Uh, start to gain the weight back and when it got you know at a point where I couldn't stand it then I would diet again and and I really repeated that pattern over and over and I did go up and down of course and uh go up and down with weight of course with that uh pattern um 
And that, you know, worked pretty well until I was like about 32 years old, I remember, because I was using diet pills, you know, speed, and um, uh, doctors uh, prescribe speed. Anybody remembers from those days, and they did work, especially if you took two a day. And, uh, and, and you know, the metabolism is pretty good until, you know, you're about 30, and I was a smoker, which also helped. So my system worked. And um, until then. And then, of course, everything fell apart after that. I quit smoking. I stopped taking the diet pills, got older, metabolism changed, and the weight all came on. And I I couldn't use my system because it just got out of hand. Uh, You know, the the weight came on too high. I I couldn't diet. um, And it just didn't work anymore. So eventually I did come to OA, and, and that was 1984, as I said. And... And, um, and I've never left, but, um, but it did take me 16 years to, um, or the last 16 years, I mean. Uh, it's only been the last 16 years where I've had a, 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 a real um, uh, reliable, uh, consistent abstinence and um, got to goal weight and, um, and I've stayed there. So I've, had a, I've maintained my goal weight for almost 16 years. So I've been using the HOW program to do that and that's what I needed. My first 13 and a half years, I, um, I, I worked what we call regular OA program and I did, you know, and, and one can work it very seriously, but I used it, um, you know, to, to my liking, which meant that I did find sponsors who, um, could, uh, 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 you know, I picked them because I, you know, I didn't want to have to call somebody when I had eaten and I wanted a food plan where, you know, I had some of my binge foods still on it. I, uh, I knew that I had to give up sugar, but, uh, I never gave up flour in those 13 and a half years. Never. So I would go back to the sugar anyway and, uh, I'd go back to the binge foods. And like I said, you know, I picked loose sponsors and I, I picked ones that wouldn't make me use the tools in a real structured way or work the steps in a real, you know, structured way and a real disciplined way. So I, you know, I, I, I never left the program, but I certainly did screw around with absence for the first 13 and a half years. And then I joined the How program um, 16 years ago. And that does force one to work a very structured and disciplined program, which is what I needed. I needed forcing. Um, uh, you know, we, we work the steps through, um, you know, uh, doing reading and assigned writing every day and then reporting it to a sponsor. And uh, and we uh, do we are required to use the step, the tools the tools. So for me, this was necessary, and um, and uh, and she also you know made me give up flour you know and uh, that was necessary for me to really really get um, abstinent and maintain it and not keep having slips. So finally, that's worked for me for sixteen years, and that's how I got to maintenance. Uh, And you know the uh, the 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 
the main topic we're to focus, focus on is abstinence is the most important thing without exception. And, um, I mean, what does that actually mean? We all say it. I mean, I hear it all the time. I've said it all the time. And then I've walked out and done something that really was challenging that little saying. And I've seen others do the same thing. And, I mean, I, I, I don't think we put two and two together. And, and you know, and... and um, um, so, I mean, if I, I'm going to say it, I'm going to mean it. So that means I have to put it into action terms. In other words, um, what actions do I actually take to show that abstinence is the most important thing in my life? You can't just say it. Um, you, you know, you have to follow it up with the right actions. So I made a list of the actions that I take. And one is the food plan that I'm on. It is the How Maintenance Food Plan. And uh, um, I follow it, and it does require uh, a weighing food. Um, you know, you can measure it. I end up just about weighing everything on a, a digital food scale in my kitchen. I, I don't measure much, except maybe a tape, you know, when you use tablespoon. I don't think I put anything in cups. I just, I like to weigh it. I don't take it out when I go out to eat. Um, it's not required. Some people want to. I don't. I actually do prefer weighing it, though. I, 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 I end up weighing it with my eyes when I go out, you know, and kind of counting and measuring with my eyes and looking. You know what? It's it's more work. I, I actually find a freedom. I think it is the easier, softer way to weigh it on a food scale. I really do. Um, uh you know, somebody else, I heard a speaker say, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. And I, I don't feel that way. I, I, I don't agree. Um, I don't know. I mean, I've been doing it for 16 years. I don't think anything I do is a lot of work. I think it's second nature. I think it's my habit. It's like brushing teeth and flossing. I mean, I don't know. It's, it's not. I don't think any of this is a lot of work. But, you know, it's... I think it's it was a lot of work doing it the way I was doing it before, actually, to tell you the truth. But um, you know, I I'm always I I'm never hungry, um, and uh, and I like the food I eat. You, uh, that's you know, two rules for me. I have to like what I'm eating, and I have to be full. I can't be hungry. And, uh, and, and and on this food plan, there's no reason for anybody to ever be hungry. It's not like I get full easily, believe me. I mean, there's lots of things you might want to eat that aren't on it, but, they, you know, you're binge foods probably. And, um, uh, y- you know, and I mean, I can eat any fruit, any protein, any vegetable I want, um, uh, whole grains and healthy fats. So, and and the only reason why I, I sometimes choose some things over others and don't eat them is because, you know, I'm getting older. And uh, I, I have to, I can't eat the choices I used to eat, you know, and still maintain my weight. And that's just, uh, you know, an unfortunate fact of life, you know. We can't eat sugar or flour, you know, in the first four ingredients. If you ever look at a list of ingredients on anything, just the first four. After that, there is sugar and there is flour in almost everything, I guess, but just can't be in the first four. 
food behaviors was uh, my second uh, action. Um, for anybody that just came in, I'm going through the actual actions I take to um, show that abstinence is the most important thing in my life. Uh, you know, not just a saying, but what actions do I take? So food behaviors. I take uh, food with me. And you're the timer. When you want to hold it up, I can. So you'll let me know. Uh, I, I uh, sometimes take food with me. Um, if, like, I'm taking a flight and it would make me eat lunch at 2 o'clock, that's too late. So I would maybe take food with me on the plane. That sometimes is a choice. And I always... Um, Make sure the restaurant that I would be going to, I look at the menu online ahead of time if I've never been there to make sure there's something I can order. And if I'm going to someone's home, you know, they're having a get-together, I do call ahead to ask, you know, what we're going to be having. And, um, you know, I just find people very accommodating. I really do. I I hear people talk about... um, they didn't want to hurt the host's feelings or something, but I, I think most hosts, that's, you know, what, what being hospitable is. They they want to make you happy and comfortable. They want you to be able to have something um, that you can eat. And if they don't have something you can eat, I mean, you can always take it with you. I do. There are some events and places that would be triggers for me, so I don't go there around the food. You know, like um, uh, there was a 4th of July picnic yesterday. I was at the convention. It didn't matter. My husband was going to it. I don't know if I would have gone if there hadn't been a convention. There's something about picnics that, you know, they just get me overexcited, you know? So I don't know if I... And and then I can go to something late. I can go to something early. You know, I I can rearrange it. But But the bottom line is if I think it's going to really trigger me, um this event, um, I, I just might, you know, not go, at least around the eating time. And I don't miss very much, really. I, there, it doesn't happen very often, I want you to know. I, I can't even remember the last event or thing that I missed because of that. Um, but I do write out a daily food plan. I mean, I've been in the program almost 30 years. I still do that. It's just a be- It's at nighttime I usually write it uh, uh, to make sure, in fact, I do have those things in the house that I think I'm going to eat. And I write out a little food plan, ba- breakfast, lunch, dinner. I don't call it in anymore. I do stay in touch with my sponsor. I do call her. I used to call her every day for a long, long time. And now I call her three times a week. And it just works better with her schedule. And we talk a long time. We have three long calls a week. And it just works out that way. And they're not about food anymore. We never talk about food. But I still write it out every day what I'm going to eat. Um, I I question waiters when I get to a restaurant. I always kind of have a personal relationship with waiters, you know. And to restaurants I go to a lot, you know, they're always happy to see me, so I can't be driving them crazy, you know. And, um, you know, I I ask, if I've never been there, of course, I ask a lot of questions about what it is, what is it going to be like. I don't want any surprises. I don't want to be disappointed. And a good waiter really, again, wants to make you happy and wants you to know. So I never feel bad about doing that, and um, I've always had good feedback from waiters. Uh, the, the the third uh, way that I um, 
show that absence is the most important thing for me is through service and beyond the meeting level. And that is uh, very important because that's what's kept me in program, keeps me connected. Uh, it's, uh, it's just a great way to make friends in program, you know, and keep friends. I have uh, been on, uh, reg- I've gone to Region Assembly as a rep. I've gone to World Service as a delegate. I've served on the Region 2 board and uh, worked on conventions and put on days in OA. And these are all ways to work beyond the meeting level. And uh, it, it's just... It, like I said, it, it's just one way to really be in the program and, and be a part of it. And, and I, I think that just uh, helps one's abstinence. Sponsorship is another way. Uh, I, I sponsor right now five people. Um, I've always had a sponsor, and I've had the same sponsor for 16 years, I'm real pleased to say. Uh, meetings. Uh, and, and, and not just my local meetings, but when I'm out of town. And I enjoy that. You know, um, my husband and I go on cruises now, and there's a, a meeting on the ship every day called Friends of Bill W., you know, if they're for all program people. And I enjoy that. Um, again, it makes me feel connected with the other people on the ship. Uh, Wherever I go, I you know, out of the country or whether it's New York or whatever, I, I like to uh, to go to a meeting there. I think it's fun, you know, to see how meetings are out of our area. And uh, number six is is higher power. Uh, that definitely um, you know helps absence be the most important thing, having a higher power. This is the part I really don't get, too, because um, I know a lot of really religious people in the program, and I know some of them go to their place of worship every morning, and I know they really have a strong belief in God, and they even read the Bible, and yet there isn't um, any help for them with the abstinence. I mean, I really don't even believe in God, and yet I have a very strong uh, higher power relationship um, and uh, talk to my higher power, pray, and, you know, definitely ask for help around, you know, food and, and, and when I'm in trouble, you know, when I think I'm going to be in trouble. So that definitely helps. Uh, it works. So, you know, just to to really sum it up, like I was saying, other people have said, but all this is so much work. It's so much. I just want to say if you're new, it does seem like a lot of work. I did when I was – I thought going to the grocery store was a lot of work. I wasn't familiar with with really shopping and and, and keeping, you know, enough food in the house or enough vegetables. I thought all that preparation was a lot of work. I I thought all of it was a lot of work. It's true. But after a while it's not. You learn how to, you know, economize on your time, and you know how to do it faster, and um, you know, you know what's important. It's important to do enough prep that you still like your food and you don't get bored, but but I'm not really a cook. I I don't cook, and yet I can, you know, I I use the microwave mostly, but I, I do manage to make interesting enough things for me so that I do love my food. There are ways... And um, and I just, you know, I just want to put out there that it does get easier. I think it, it becomes second nature to where you feel like it's just really not much work at all. Thank you.
Thank you, Sherry. Um, our second speaker is Anne. Hi, everybody. My name is Anne. I'm a compulsive overreader. And I'm really grateful to be here today, and I'm grateful that I began my day with a uh, the third step prayer, and then I called my sponsor this morning, and I've had two abstinent meals. And, you know, I was kind of reviewing this. There have been a lot of versions of this little talk I'm going to give you, so hopefully I'll give you the one that God wants me to give you today. But when I start, I was going to tell you about my day today, and I was going to start off and say, you know, I've had two abstinent meals today, and I was going to tell you about the other stuff, and I thought, isn't that just like a compulsive overeater, first of all, mentioning the food you've had today, you know? And I thought, oh, God. You're in the right place. But anyway, um, I've also, I'm on vacation right now, and I've been to two, oh, eight, two uh, 12-step meetings this week, and I have the, the privilege of being a secretary at another 12-step meeting tomorrow morning, and uh, that's just my life. You know, that's my life. There is no other way for me anymore. Um, I've been in these rooms for... Um, 31 years, and I'm very grateful for that. I want to tell you a little bit this morning about, I, I didn't want to sound, sound pompous by saying these uh, activities that I've been involved with in during the week, like I'm this great, you know, 12-step person, and all I do is go to meetings and say my prayers, and da-da-da. So I woke up this morning, and I, you know, you want to be presentable when you come to a place like this, and so I woke up this morning, and uh, I had this sit right on my nose, and I get like one a year, and I was like, oh God, you know, you know what's going on for me today, don't you? So anyway, um, I am here, and I'm very grateful. Um, you know, I uh, I, I began this, this uh, journey. I'm going to call it a journey because that's what it's been for me. Well, actually, it'll be, uh, it was 32 years. April 7th, 1982 was when I first came into my first 12-step 12, 12 program. I've been absent for 23 of the years that I've been in OA, and that's just been a miracle and a blessing. Um I'll tell you about how I started in the program, and I have a lot of years of, you know, compulsive overreading behind uh, when I came into OA, but I'm not going to go there today. So I came into the program, and I had had, you know, huge problems with food, and so I, you know, I went to my first meeting, and I was... Uh, you know, I, I thought it was an okay thing, and I got a very nice lady. She was my sponsor, and she was just wonderful, and I went to uh, one meeting a week because I was very busy. I was going to school, and so I had time for one meeting a week, and I called my sponsor every day, and, we you know, I gave her my food, and she was just lovely. You know, she was a lovely person, and I, you know, I figured out the foods that I was going to eat, and they were nutritious, and then... um. But I also allowed myself to have other kinds of food, you know, because I didn't think I would go without them. And so that didn't work very well. But I continued on my, uh, you know, one meeting a week and calling my sponsor. And I actually graduated from school that year. I finished college that year. And I moved up to San Francisco. And so I got a new sponsor. And I went to my one meeting a week. And I called my sponsor every day. And absence was not the most important thing in my life without reservation because I was now going to get a teaching credential. So I was in college and I was working hard on my teaching credentials and uh, they were very important to me and they were, you know, I needed to get a job. I needed to be employed doing something that I wanted to do. And so absence was important, but it wasn't as important as getting those teaching credentials. 
And so I, uh, you know, I continued to relapse in the program. And I continued to not understand why I was relapsing because I was going to my one meeting a week. I was, was working the 12 steps in another 12-step program. And uh, I didn't understand why I really couldn't, you know, couldn't get this here. You know, I would binge and I would, uh, you know, I was kind of doing the same thing in program that I'd done outside of program. I would be abstinent and then I would go on these binges. And it just was this cycle of, you know, just what I had been doing outside of the program. But now I was going to meetings. So then, after I got my teaching credentials, there was graduate school, which was very important, you know, and it required a lot of work and a lot of diligence, and you know how we are, I mean, we're hard workers, you know, um, you know, I was I was anorexic at one point in my eating career. And when you're anorexic, I mean, you are a hard worker. You know, believe me, you can do, you know, you will go to great lengths to do what you need to do. And so anyway, I was going to graduate school and I had my, uh, I don't know, I still had my sponsor and I kind of, you know, I, I guess I had, you know, kind of, uh, you know, gotten more meetings, but I still was an abstinent, you know. And, and I'll tell you, graduate school was the most, most important thing on that on my plate. You know, it was the most important thing. Absence was important, but, you know, I mean, there were other things, too, and there were just other things, too. And uh, I didn't really have much time for sponsorship. You know, I didn't have much time. I remember... um. I remember I had these poor, oh, I pity these poor women. You know, they asked me to be their sponsor. And so I said, sure, you know, and I was, I guess I was doing pretty well in my program. And so I, you know, they, they decided about a, you know, we conferred about a time where they could call me in the morning and, um, I had my phone unplugged because I was really busy and I didn't have much time to talk to you. So I would look at my watch, you know, and uh, I remember one of them was going to call like 725. And so like at, you know, 724, I plugged the phone in and she had five minutes to talk to me and give me your food. And that was it because I had another person that was going to call at 730. So, you know, and then the, the 730 phone call lasted for like five minutes because then I had to go somewhere, you know. So anyway, it's like, and I thought that I was doing these women a world of service here, you know? I mean, I thought it was just God, you know? They, you know, so then, you know, we would finish the phone call and I would unplug the phone because I was very busy. So anyway, consequently, I did not stay abstinent, but I continued to go to meetings. I continued to work the steps. I continued to you know, to be of service in, in whatever, you know, um, whatever frame I could be of service in. And so then I got this job, you know, I got my first teaching job and it was very hard. It was very challenging. Um, I was teaching middle school. I'm a special ed teacher and it was my first job and it was very, you know, it was not the easiest thing to do. Um, I'm still a special ed teacher. I still teach middle school and it's still not the easiest thing to do. But anyway, you know, I had this job and of course now the job was, you know, the most important thing in my life, you know, and the abstinence was important too, but it was just not that important. And then I had this boyfriend and he was really important too, you know. And so anyway, you know, I had the job and the boyfriend and the abstinence and you know I guess abstinence kind of took a back seat to the other two you know things in my life but it was important and so anyway you know I um the relationship ended, and actually the job ended that year. But that year I got a uh, a couple of, well, I got a blessing. I got into the worst relapse that I had ever gotten into. You know, it was just nonstop binging. And I remember I would promise myself that I would not binge before going to school to deal with these really, like, you know, learning disabled, emotionally disturbed children, and I would binge. And I would go to work, and I would be so hungover. 
you know, just because I mean, I just, I, you know, I, I, you know, when I, when I used to binge, I would binge until I couldn't, couldn't stand up anymore from the food. That's what I do. You know, lots of sugar, lots of flour, lots of really heavy carbs. And it's really, you know, and it's not pretty and I'm not a pretty person the next day. So anyway, I would go to school and I would be, um, you know, just trying to deal with these kids, just trying to keep some kind of maintenance in my room and some kind of control. And it was very, very difficult. And, uh, you know, and I kept saying, you know, I'm not going to do this again. I'm not going to do this again. And of course I would do it again. And there were days where, uh, you know, I, I, I wouldn't binge the night before, but I would start to get the, uh, you know, the compulsion would come on and I would be like, you know, sitting, you know, I remember I would be in the room with those kids and I would just couldn't wait till they would get out the door. Um, because I knew that I would have to go through their desks and I would have to find something to eat because I had preparation to do for the next day. And I knew that, you know, I just couldn't live without food. And so I just couldn't wait till they would leave. And I would actually go through their desks and I would try and find food to eat because I knew that I couldn't wait till I got home to eat. And that's what my life was like. Um, that relapse continued into the summertime, and I'll tell you, it was the one of the worst summers I've ever had. You know, here I was, I had all this freedom. You know, I didn't have the job anymore. I lost the job at the end of the year. And so when I had all this freedom and all this free time, and um, I uh, got into it, a horrible relapse. I ate constantly. I binged constantly, and I, I unplugged the phone, and I drew the drapes, and I did nothing but eat. You know, that's all that I did. And I would binge, you know, my usual thing about binging and binging and binging and, you know, until I couldn't stand up anymore. And so I had these incredibly horrible hangovers, you know, really, really bad hangovers. And so my routine would be to lie on the, uh, I would be able to get out of bed at about 1130 in the morning. I used to get really, really bad headaches from the food. And, um... I would get out of bed at about 11.30 in the morning. I would be able to get myself into the couch. And I would lie on the couch. And I would just lie there, you know, because I couldn't even get up. And so I would watch TV. And uh, I, I would get out to an AA meeting. I remember I had one thing I could wear. I had my big red sweatsuit, you know, my pantsuit. And that's all that I had and all my glory, you know, my uh, copying almost 200 pounds. I would, uh, you know, I would leave, you know, in my big red sweatsuit. You know, I must have been like a neon thing coming down the road. But anyway... You know, there I would go, and I would come home, and then I would binge all over again, and it was just this horrible cycle. And um, so anyway, you know, one day I had done my usual binging thing, and I was lying on the couch, and I was watching Oprah. Oprah was on, and there was this woman on there, and um, she was an obese woman. You know, and I kind of looked and I thought, well, you know, this might have something to do with you, Anne. And so anyway, you know, and I remember something said to me very clearly, the only thing between you and her are the 12 steps. And I thought, wow, the 12 steps. I thought, why did anybody ever mention that? You know, it's like, you know, and I, I just really, you know, it's like, you know, I had this program and I, I, you know, I had the steps and I had a sponsor and I had the meetings and I had my books. But they were all like, kind of like all over the place. And absent was not the most important thing in my life. It really wasn't. It was important, but not that important. You know, it just wasn't that important. And so anyway, I got out my big book and I thought, well, okay, all right, the 12 steps are in here somewhere. I'm going to find them. And so I did. And so I turned to chapter five, which is how it works. And it said things like this. It said, rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. Those who do not recover are people who cannot or will not completely give themselves to this simple program, usually men and women who are constitutionally incapable of being honest with themselves. They are naturally incapable of grasping and developing a manner of living which demands rigorous honesty. 
If you have decided you want what we have and are willing to go to any length to get it, then you are ready to take certain steps. At some of these we balked. We thought we could find an easier, softer way, but we could not. Some of us have tried to hold on to our old ideas, and the result was nil until we let go absolutely. Half measures availed us nothing. We stood at the turning point. We asked his protection and care with complete abandon. And I read that, and I heard it like I'd never heard it before. And I figured, Anne, the only thing that you have to figure out is if you are one of those people who is constitutionally incapable of being honest with yourself. Because if you are, then this won't work. And if you're not, this will work for you. And so I started to um, give myself to these steps in a manner that I had never done so before. I gave everything thoroughly to God. Um, when I became abstinent, there were not, uh, we didn't have the 12 and 12 for OA as we do today, but there were several drafts that, would, that had come out of the 12 steps, and I found them very helpful, and I read them cover to cover, you know, first step through the 12th step. And in, uh, it was, uh, what I found in those steps that were very interesting was that I would, uh, the, the idea that I could turn my appetite over to God. I could turn everything to God, everything, just give it everything, give God everything, Anne. You know, give him your appetite and start to meditate. And in your meditation, ask God, ask God for guidance about how he will have you eat. You know, ask God to give you an appetite and then ask God that, you know, when you're full, that he, you know, he will make you full. And I started to do that. You know, and I went out and I got a book on nutrition because at this time I didn't even know how to follow a food plan anymore. I had tried so many and I didn't know what to do. And so I went and I got this book on nutrition and I uh, started to follow just what I thought would be a, you know, a, a, some kind of a normal plan of eating. And um, I gave everything to God in my uh, meditation. I was seeing a therapist at that time and he said, I want you to start meditating. And I said, okay. And I said, you know, how do you meditate? Because I don't know. And he told me. And I began to meditate. And in my meditation, I asked God for guidance about the food. I said, I cannot do any of this. You have to take all of this from me. I will completely surrender whatever you want me to do. But I can't do any of this anymore. And that's been my practice, you know, for the last uh, 23 years. I just give it all to God because I have no control over this food. It is way bigger than I am. And so when I began to do that and I started to, uh, I went through my steps again and I did the third step extremely earnestly. I said, okay, God, I'm going to give you everything here. I will turn everything over to you. I looked at the sixth step and the seventh step, and I looked at those defects of character that I had been hanging on to. And um, I said, you know, I'm going to give you all this, God. I will surrender all of my defects of character to you. You know, you're going to take me and you're going to build with me and do with me as you want to, but I'm going to give you all this stuff. I uh, I did the 11th step very thoroughly, very thoroughly. You know, I did my meditation, you know, um, and, uh, you know, and I actually, uh, you know, I put a sign on my refrigerator and it said, making your abstinence as simple as possible is the most important thing you can do today. And I left it there for a long time. And that is the most important thing I can do today. Abstinence comes, you know, it is the most important thing I have in my life. You know, without that, I mean, I have nothing, absolutely nothing, nothing. You know, if I pick up that first bite, it's like, I will go home, I will eat myself, you know, to I don't know what. 
you know, I don't know where I would ever stop. It would never stop again. So this is like, you know, this is number one without a doubt. I mean, there is just no other way. And so anyway, you know, I, I was speaking at a, you know, things changed about my idea of being of service to others. And so I went to a meeting and uh, I spoke and this woman came up to me and she, we started talking and she asked if she could call me. And so she started to call me and uh, she's actually here today. I was thinking about her. I was like, I wonder if she's going to come to the, come to the, to the conference. And so we, she called me me every day and she would call me when we when I when I was making dinner and I wasn't too busy to talk to her I didn't look at my watch and say oh, I'm really sorry I gotta go now time's up sweetie sorry you know and we talked and when we were done talking we were done talking and we we had a wonderful relationship and we had a very rich and deep relationship because I was actually willing to get out of myself and be of service and so you know when I um you know when I talk about this uh you know this being the only way um, you know, we have this thing called lifeline and I think it's, it's a wonderful thing. And I used to say, you know, AA is my, or, you know, OA is my lifeline. You know, OA is my way of life. This is my way of life. There is nothing else for me. You know, I don't have any other way here. You know, I have no other way than to begin my day with a prayer, you know, to call my sponsor, to stay committed at meetings. You know, I, uh, I have a prayer that I stop and say at five o'clock every day, and it's a Native American prayer that I just came across every, you know, the way, and I, I say that prayer every day. You know, when I go to bed at night, I do a 12, I do a 10th step. You know, I do some spiritual reading. You know, my, my path doesn't change whether it's Christmas, New Year's, my birthday, or whatever. You know, it's still the same. You know, I start my day the same way. Um, you know, I, uh, I go to the grocery store every week and I, I buy the food that I need and I, I'm, I'm pretty good about it. I might go whether I need to go or not. I know I have to go. And most of the times it's like I have a routine and I'm, I'm grateful for it. You know, I kind of have this kind of, you know, I go to Trader Joe's and I buy my bag of, uh, you know, whatever I need to buy my vegetables and such. And I, you know, and I come home and I put my little vegetables in the little baggies for the week and I cut up the other stuff I need to have ready. And most of the time, I'm I'm okay. I'm kind of getting this Zen mode here. You know, it's like okay, it's like okay. You know, I'm cutting my vegetables. I'm cutting this up, and I'm just going to focus on this right now. But I do have my days where I'm really pissed off because you know, it's like I am just certain that everybody else in the Bay Area is out on their yacht on the San Francisco Bay. You know, and I'm here cutting up my freaking vegetables. You know, and you know, it's like. But most of the time, I'm really I'm okay. You know, I'm just okay. It's like, and you know. This is just your way of life. You have nothing else to do. You know, it's like uh, I went grocery shopping yesterday. And who in the hell goes grocery shopping on the 4th of July? And I thought, you're going to be the only one in the store. Well, I wasn't the only one in the store. And I have my food, and it's all ready because I was going to be here today. And I have other things I'm going to do tomorrow. And then there's Monday, you know. And it's just like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just used to it. I'm used to it. I'm grateful for it. I have peace around it, you know. I don't have any desire to eat compulsively. It's just gone. You know, it is gone. And what a gift. You know, what a gift. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's just, uh, you know, like I said, there's no other way. There's nothing left for me, you know. And I'm so grateful to be absent today. And I'm so grateful to be of service and um, really wonderful to be here. So thank you very much. Okay, okay, so we're going to pass these pictures around. Our next speaker will be Hannah. Yes, Hannah. And then we're also going to have the Ask It Basket go around one more time. Okay. I'm Hannah, and I'm a compulsive eater. Hi, Hannah. 
And I kind of like that when we changed compulsive overeater to compulsive eater because when I came, and I came in 1977, uh, we did not have anorexics and bulimics. The reason being that they were undercover, they looked normal, and I admired them, people like Twiggy, because I thought they had it made. And I'm sure that when Razan uh, founder founded the meetings and Overeaters Anonymous, if she had been aware of it, maybe we would have had a different name. But we are Overeaters Anonymous. But now today, I'm glad we're saying I'm Hannah. I'm a compulsive eater. Because during the time, my time in this program, I learned to identify with people who are anorexics. I learned to identify with people who are bulimics. Now, I never had anything in common with them. I knew that before program because, you know, they were normal. And I also believe that I was born a compulsive overeater because I had some things in my childhood that really convinced, convinced me now that I was a compulsive overeater. And I just, you know, abstinence is the most important thing in my life without exception. I know that today. But at one time, abstinence was very fanatic. But as I said, when I was born, I almost killed my mother. I, was, I weighed 14 pounds, and it went on from there. Now, she didn't have enough. She had to do it again 12 years later and have my sister, who's still into her disease, and she lives in Europe. As you can tell, I came from there. And anyway, um, the first thing I remember, I uh, was born into the Second World War, and things weren't too great over there in Europe. And so I actually ended up having malnutrition. But the reason why I'm saying this, not because I had malnutrition, but that's when I fell in love with my favorite food, which was chocolate. And what happened was they tried to pep us back to life, so they lined us up in the gym, and everybody had to swallow a, a tablespoon of cod liver oil. Now, my peers were running like crazy. They were trying to escape, and I thought, well, if it goes down, okay, down the hatch. But then after that, they gave me a piece of chocolate, and that was the first piece of chocolate I ever had in my life, and I was five years old. Now, what I did, and that's where the compulsive overeater comes in, I went to the back of the line. I was ready to swallow another spoon of cod liver oil for the next piece of chocolate. And that was my favorite food. And I found out in this program there is life after chocolate. And usually I don't talk about it, but you know sometimes when people say, I binged on that brown stuff. When I first came to program, I was sitting there wondering, now did they binge on this? Did they binge on that? And I didn't pay attention to anything else. But when I came in 1977, I was handed a gray sheet. And I followed it fanatically. Now, fanatic, the word, is not a great thing because I fell flat on my face after three months. I drove my husband crazy. Okay, I started to lose weight. And I was so fanatic, we would go on a trip, driving trip, and he'd say, it's time for lunch. And I said, oh, no, I can't go into a restaurant. So I would eat my stuff out of the trunk, and he had a great program. He got to his program before I got to mine, and he'd say, if that's what you want to do, that's fine. And I was so frustrated and so angry. But you see, I never heard anything about the steps because I, there was nothing wrong with me. And I never got the second half of the first step. And when I talk to people, I sponsor sometimes, I say, you know, there are two halves to that step, not just the first one. And it took a good binge at Christmas 1977 for me to realize, yeah, there is something wrong with me. Because I had my food all packed because I live in Palm Springs, 
and they don't have the food that I wanted up in Santa Rosa because I figured, you know, I had to take it with me. I was there maybe three hours, and I was fighting with my girlfriend's son over the food, the cookies. He thought it was hilarious because he knew there was more where that came from. But I was binging until, you know, I mean, I couldn't get enough fast enough, and he thought it was funny. Now, my husband, uh, as I said, he had a good program. He walked by, and he didn't critique me or he didn't criticize or didn't do anything. He just walked by and said, do you know what you're doing to yourself? And, you know, being the good compulsive overeater, if I want to eat, I eat. I told him to go to hell. And he did, and I kept on binging. Now, we're talking sometimes about little miracles. I didn't have a burning bush, but looking back at the time, because my abstinence date is January 6, 1978, what was the little miracle for me, a little nudge kind of, I actually had never done anything over again because if I went on a diet, it didn't work. It wasn't any good. So I had been in OA for three months, and I was debating. You know, I felt so miserable because the one thing is guaranteed, the misery will be refunded instantly, and it was for me. I didn't gain a ton of weight because I only did that for three days. But I really, I thought about it, and I picked up the phone, and that was the hardest thing I ever did in my life. I picked up the phone, and I called someone, and I said, I went on a binge, and I feel terrible. And she said, why don't you come back? Now, that's what I call my little miracle, because I did. And I never did anything over again. And again, I went on gray sheet, but I thought, I started listening to those things called steps. And I realized that, yeah, maybe my life is unmanageable. I didn't believe that before, because I had it under control. And uh, I could not manage anything in my life, especially the food, that part of it. I mean, I was crazy, and I thought, okay, but it's hard to realize if, you know, all of us are educated people, we learned how to read at one and one, so we have everything under control except the food, and I worked my way all the way up to 200 pounds. Now, I never had my picture taken when I was higher than 160 pounds, and that's going around in my purple dress. I never got bigger than a size 12. Because I was, you know, we didn't have much money. My husband had an expensive hobby, and I had one. So I learned to sew. And, you know, patterns are very patient. You just cut a little more on either side, and it gets bigger and bigger. So I was always a size 12, even at close to 200 pounds. (laughs) And, you know, I mean, the insanity, I can really identify with all of that today, and I couldn't then. But it took time for me to realize that. But I was willing to listen. I had a sponsor for over 30 years, and she died. We met each other going with our husbands to that other program that both of them were into, and we sat there looking at each other. She was fat, I was fat, and we just didn't like each other. She became my sponsor, and, you know, we were friends, sponsor, sponsee for 30 years. And, you know, the good thing is today I know enough that I have to go out and find a sponsor as soon as something happens. I can't do it on my own, not even today. As much as I would love to tell you, I'm perfect, I have it made. I never have it made. And, you know, still, with uh, this freedom and happiness, I was never happy. If you've seen some of the pictures, even as a child, I can't find a single picture where I smiled. And I also, the other thing that was wrong with me, the grass was always greener on the other side. Now, I grew up in Germany, in Hamburg. I wanted to leave home from the time I was 10 years old. Of course, it took me until I was 19. And I don't just make a little geographical from Los Angeles to San Francisco. I left the country, I left the continent, and I went to Canada. 
and things were better there. Now, the people weren't any better than they were in Germany, so, but I found myself a husband because I was getting to be an old maid. I think I was 20 years old. <laughs> <laughs> and compulsive readers like me, I, was not very well-adjusted, so I could have never found someone who was a well-adjusted normal human being because they're boring. And I saw this gorgeous guy who was the life of the party. And you know what I loved about him? He wasn't running after girls. What I didn't know was he wasn't interested. He had his bottle, right? And I got him. But I knew he drank a little bit too much. But I knew as soon as we were married, I would get him under control. And everything, <laughs> we would live happily ever after. So what happened to me was I gained 30 pounds within three months because he didn't do what I wanted him to. And the only defense I had against this unhappiness or all the things that he was doing to me was my food because it felt good going down and I gained more and more weight and I was very unhappy and I, I don't think I knew how to smile before I came to this program and today I think most things are funny especially me you know I'm like, I, I, I think I'm really funny <laughs> <laughs> because I'm crazy and it's okay and that's what the second half of the first step told me and maintenance it takes the steps and I didn't know that the second step, gosh, that was hard. I grew up, my stepfather was a socialist and an atheist. And so that's a good start, right? But sometimes I think the way it was explained to me, my sponsor was Catholic, believe it or not. So she kept asking me questions. Do you really, you know, isn't that something bigger than you are? Hmm. And she pointed to the mountains. I live in Southern California, lots of mountains. And she said, can you make it bigger? No. Can you make it smaller? No. So isn't that something bigger than you? And that's how I started, and it was okay. And when it came to praying and meditation, oh, my God, how do you do that? How do you meditate? I had no idea. I asked around. I was bouncing off the walls, you know, but I was abstaining, gray sheet. And I kept asking people, and they said, patience, patience, you know, just sit still. Shut up for a moment. Sit still and, you know, turn your will and your life over. Who did I turn it over? To the mountain? That's Okay. And so um, what I, and I also said the first few years when I was in program, I worked hard on it, but my knees did not bend. I was not going to get on my knees and pray to God. Oh, my God, higher power, no way. And after 36 and a half years, guess what I do first thing in the morning? Except a sponsor of mine corrected me. She said, at my age, she's my age, that's the second thing you do, you know, because nature calls. <laughs> But I do get up every morning, and I turn my will and my life over, and I have no problem saying, God, today, higher power. It's, you know, bigger than I. Everything's bigger than me because I'm just a little ant crawling around on this planet. But I turn my will and my life over and ask for help. Help? I didn't need any help. I mean, I was perfect, and I had it made, and except I had a little weight problem. And one time I had, I had a successful diet. It was the one and only diet I went on. And I looked good. I was almost, somebody asked me, looking, looking at the pictures, were you anorexic? Never dawned on me, but I probably was. I took diet pills. You know, in those days, speed was sold over the counter. And I actually worked for pharmaceutical companies. And I could go to the company doctor. And I'm very grateful for my stupidity today. You know, I really was because he would say, do this, take one pill before breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And I did. I didn't find out until I came to OA, if you double up, it works again. Because after a couple of months, it didn't work anymore. And so I'm very grateful for not knowing all these things because today everybody knows about all these drugs. I didn't know. So that saved me from a lot of trouble. 
I was 22 years old when I started my first diet after my husband didn't make me happy. And I did this. I lost weight fast. And I tell you, after I lost my weight in a short period of time, I shook so bad I couldn't hold a cup of coffee or a glass of water. So what do you do? You just don't drink in front of anybody. You just, you know, don't do anything. But I always blamed everything on my husband. Now, he pulled a dirty trick on me, and he found a program. And you think that my life should have gotten better, right? I fell completely apart because I thought, oh, my God, from now on, my life is going to be this way for the rest of my life. He's going to go to those meetings. What I do, he went to a meeting. I sat at home, and I ate. And I did crazy things. I wouldn't have anything in the house because I would not allow him to have anything that I didn't want to eat. So then I remember that grandmother used to make her own candy stuff. And I get out the frying pan and I cook this stuff. I had the ingredients at home. And then I would have to eat it right out of the cast iron frying pan. And then I had to clean it up. And it was winter time. And in Pasadena, where I lived at the time, it wasn't that cold. But it also wasn't that warm during the winter. So what I had to do is I had to clean it all up, and then I had to run the air conditioning in the wintertime because, you know, I had to get rid of the smell. In a townhouse, it goes up. But, you know, this program has taken care of all of that. And our two wonderful speakers who were talking about, you know, the food and all this stuff. I didn't know anything green was edible. I had to learn that, you know. <laughs> Would you believe today I eat spinach? Oh, my God. But... And the other thing that was so funny, our speaker last night was talking about thyroid. And all those years when I was dieting, I was hoping something would be off with my thyroid. I would go to the doctor and he'd hand me a diet. You know what, three weeks ago they told me there was something wrong with my thyroid. <laughs> and I laughed and the doctor said to me, why are you laughing? I said, this is funny. And I told him the story. And, but you know, be, be careful what you pray for. Eventually it might come true. But uh, I have tried to do the things that were suggested. And today I'm willing to listen. And even after all those years, I don't have it made. I talk to people. I try to sponsor. But I also do believe in a food plan. I still believe in weighing and measuring because left to my own devices, I'm not really sure if I know what to do. Now, like some of the other people, I do not take scales to restaurants but I got a pretty eye, you know, much of an eyeful. Somebody told me if it's like the size of a fist, that might be just about right. And if you take a plate that's that big, that's not a serving. But if you take a smaller plate, maybe that's a serving. I learned all these things. You know, I was, I thought I was so smart. And I really had no idea how to live life. And life is not always kind. I mean, 36 and a half years in this program, life happens. I lost my husband, and I thought, oh, my God, this is the end of the world. He died sober. But this program helped me through it, and lots of things happened. And, you know, my husband had a saying, and I use it a lot. Every time something happened, I had a lot of things happen. My roof of it flew off because we have a lot of storms in Southern California. I thought, oh, my God, when I heard the shingle stands up there. And he used to throw up his hands, and I do that now, look up and say, why me, oh, Lord? And then I look down and say, why not you? I am not singled out. But everything that happened to me never happened to anybody else. I was the only one who had to suffer through this. And I am very grateful today that I'm in this program. But I also know if I don't keep coming back, if I don't go to meetings, left to my own devices, I know I forget about it. My memory is very short, and as you get older, it really gets bad. But anyway, so I go to more meetings now than I ever have, but some of it has to do with not working anymore. I haven't worked in 20 years and I started to give service. 
I was elected secretary. In those days in Pasadena, we had meetings, 50, 60 people. And I used to go to some of the meetings where Roseanne was, and we didn't really like each other all that much. We were different. And later on, we became, you know, practically friends because we saw each other a lot. But the difference, you know, everybody is different, but I had to change. And I think it took a long time, but I did change. And abstinence really is the most important thing in my life today. Sometimes when things happen, I make, make a joke about it. And I say, now, in the old days, it would have, been, would have been worth the chocolate cake. But it isn't anymore. It's not worth it. Abstinence, I've worked so hard to obtain it. And I want to keep it. Thank you. And um, I have made so many friends today. And as I said, I think life is funny. Shari and I go back a long way. I dragged her on the Region 2 board. She still blames me for that. And I've been volunteered a lot. I was able to give service. But the first job I had was secretary. And we had so many people. There were three of us running for the position. Can you figure that now? Because nowadays we have to ask people to serve many times where I live. I live in a small community. And we had to go outside. And I was elected. And we had to go up front. And we had to stand up front. I had to give my report. And the requirement was that if you weren't abstinent, you had to resign. And I didn't want to resign. I wanted my job. And then they used to make me treasurer because that was my kind of job that I worked at. And so I worked for different areas in the program, had different jobs, conventions. I love them. I'm a convention junkie, and I love World Service conventions. I make a vacation out of it, you know, get to see our country. But uh, I have given service on the Region 2 board. I worked for World Service Office on some of their conventions. And it's wonderful. It's not work. I'm getting to know all these people. And I've been to uh, meetings in other countries. My hobby is traveling now. And I never thought that I could do that and have fun meeting people. Somebody picked me up in Auckland, New Zealand earlier this year and took me to a meeting. And I was sitting there talking to someone. Somebody walks up behind me and says, Hi, Anna, how are you doing? Can you imagine that far away from home? I have a sponsor in Oslo, and I'll see you in a couple of months. And so she told somebody else who was a speaker for me. I asked him to speak in 2010 in Los Angeles. He said, Oh, great, let's do something. And you know, Nobody wanted any part of me, and I was terrified of people, and I'm not anymore. And the way to express that was I used to stick my nose up in the air, and you thought I was uppity. But what I was, I was terrified. I was afraid of people because I wanted to be so perfect. And since I knew I couldn't say this all perfectly, I would not say anything at all, and I would just not talk. And today, it's okay because I know I'm not perfect, and it's perfectly all right. And if I make a mistake, I say, oops, I goofed. I could never do that. Do you remember that? Any of you have done that, explaining a mistake away and trying to find somebody else because he did that or she did that? And that's, <clears throat> excuse me, and that's the reason why I had to do that? God, I don't have to do that anymore. Life is so simple. And the tenth step at night, in between, you know, third, fourth, fifth, and uh, the 10th step every day, looking back, turning my will and my life over to God in the morning to my higher power and asking for help, not just for the abstinence, but I also ask, help me to conduct myself the way I'm supposed to so I don't tread, you know, step on anybody's toes or do anything that I'm not supposed to. Let me act like a human being. God, I could have never asked for that because I always thought I was definitely, you know, a very intelligent person, much more so than you are. But I couldn't show it because, uh, you know, on the other hand, I was inferior, and I felt inferior. 
And I'm so grateful that I stayed in California because I was on my way to Australia because the people in California weren't any good either. So now you know. I already started the paperwork. And so, but we stayed, and my husband found his program, I found mine, and we had a wonderful life. But it's all due to this program. And you know, our theme here is a new freedom and a new happiness. I never felt so free being able to do what I'm doing. And unfortunately, I got to be 75 years old, and every morning when I get up, I also say thank you for still being here. Because nobody in my family made it to this age. They killed themselves. Diabetes because that was my favorite grandmother who ate all the junk. My mother, okay, other things, but everybody was overweight. And somehow I don't have to do that. I don't have to kill myself. And I'm very, very grateful. And thank you for being here, and thank you for listening to me, because I usually work behind the scenes. I don't like to be up front. Thank you. Oh, they're still going around. Okay. 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 Well, thank you very much, ladies. Um, we'll now draw questions from the Ask It Basket for our panelists. Um, no. Okay. All right. Um, so, so the first question. How do you guide your sponsees to understand abstinence is the most important thing? Guide your sponsees to understand abstinence is the most important thing. I'm Sherry. We're still supposed to say our name for the, the tape. So they know who's answering. Um, well, uh, I guide them with um, the requirements. <laughs> and, you know, as I said, I work the HOW uh, program, and there are requirements in our program. And um, so, you, you know, if uh, they, for, for example, I acquire a certain amount of meetings a week and to do, um, and, and to work the steps in a structured way it requires a certain amount of reading and writing. And, uh there's service that's required, and uh, so on. Really, just I mean, the requirement is just uh, using the tools and working the steps. Um, so, if if a person does all that and and follows our food plan and the other and and the other things that we do and how, then I think they would be putting into uh, and and then they will be. Making absence the most important thing in their life. I'm Hannah, compulsive eater. And as I say, I live in a small community and I have several sponsees who are very spiritual. And uh, then they try to work on the abstinence. And I keep telling them that I had no idea what spirituality was when I came to program. For me, abstinence came first, and it's the most important thing in my life without exception. Yes, but my children are very important, and they have to come first. And I tell them, you know, I said, you know, if you make the abstinence the most important thing in your life without exception, you will be a better mother, you will be a better wife, a better friend, because I have experienced all that stuff. 
And it takes time sometimes for people to come around. But I asked them to do that, to pick a food plan. Well, I kind of have, and pick a food plan. It doesn't matter what it is, even if it's just three meals a day to start with, because most of us come from uncontrolled eating and then have to, you know, try to figure out a way. So a food plan's good. We have the dignity of choice now. We have choices. We don't have to do the gray sheet anymore. So I just asked them, pick a food plan. Do some daily reading, and I, what I do with some of the sponsors, I finally got them to write a little bit and read a little bit more. Do the daily, you know, for today, and then have the workbook and write in it. And they tell me what they write, and I tell them what I have written, and we compare notes that way. And it's, I think it's a good idea. And I have someone who's been fighting it for over a year, and she finally said to me, you know, Maybe I have to give up sugar. And I said, I think that's a good idea. So every day she commits, today I will not have any sugar. But it's a wonderful start. It's a plan. So that's what I tell people. Our next question is, talk about how you use some of the tools you haven't mentioned. Okay, uh, how do you use some of the tools you haven't mentioned? Well, now I have to think about the tools that I haven't mentioned. Um, so, you know, I, I basically, you know, I, I try and follow the 12 steps to the best of my ability, and that's what I try and do. And for the tools that I haven't mentioned, I'm, um, um, I'm not particularly good at writing. You know, that's not something that I, that I spend a lot of time doing. And um, I don't know if I'm particularly good at phone calls. And, you know, I could certainly do more of that kind of a thing. And so, you know, I, I for me, you know, it's like I, I have to figure out what works for me. You know, what do I have time to do? What works in my life? You know, what feels comfortable? What has been successful for me? And I kind of stick to that. And I think that, you know, I think maybe we all find our own path with that. You know, like some people are really good at writing. Some people get on the phone all the time, you know, and I think it's wonderful if that works for you and that's a release and that keeps you abstinent and that keeps you comfortable and that keeps you away from the next spot. I think it's great, you know, but I think that, you know, we all find our own way and our own path. And I think that, uh, I don't know, some people use all of the tools. I think that's wonderful. You know, I've just found a way that works for me and the tools that work. And, uh, for me, it's, you know, it's service. It's, you know, being of, of, of help when I can be. It's certainly prayer and meditation. It's certainly meetings. It's certainly staying connected. It's all of those things, you know. And But I think that, you know, some people are better at some things than others, you know. And I think if that's something that really works for you, then do it, you know. So anyway, thank you. Okay. How do you keep from getting lazy around program and abstinence after so many years? I'm Hannah, compulsive eater. S service that keeps me coming, and I am always connected. Actually, this was the first convention in I don't know how many years where I didn't work. 
And thanks to a good friend of mine, she said, you know, why don't you ask Hannah to help, you know, help out with this workshop and talk at the workshop? Because I like to work behind the scenes, as some of you know, because I love to work for OA. And just having a commitment, I encourage sponsors, just be secretary, just come and put the literature out. And I, I asked someone, you know, would you do it like we are at the Friday meeting, I'm secretary, would you come and open the door and please be there 15 minutes before because some people come at the last minute. But service in all areas, and there's service even if for people who work. When I worked, which I haven't in 20 years, thank God, and uh, I was always, always had one job. It didn't matter how small the job was, but I knew I had to be there because this program teaches me responsibility. Thank you. And this is Sherry. Um, if I start to get lazy with some, you know, um, aspect of uh, program, I'm probably getting bored with it, and I just do something else. I mean, it is boring to keep doing the same thing over and over, and I don't do a lot of um, the the service um, uh, uh, at at meeting level because I I just you know I feel that's for like uh, newcomers people who just meet the uh, requirements of it people who haven't done it yet I'm there you know helping anyone who needs help with it and I do you know like uh, mentor a lot of people who want help with all of that but I mean I just find something uh, that I wouldn't be lazy with that that would be challenging something fun something exciting there's always something to do you know a higher level of service something different that I haven't done. I mean, you know, if, uh, if I haven't taken a brand newcomer in a long time, you know, do that. Uh, you know, it's like anything else. Just just, uh, just find something different and challenging that, that you won't feel lazy about. Hi, this is Anne. Um, you know, I think that's never really, I guess I just like routine, you know, I don't, doesn't bother me in the least, but anyway, uh, you know, it's like, uh, you know, I, I don't know, I get perplexed when people outside of the program ask me that, well, why do you still go? And it's like, well, you know, it's like becoming like a Christian or a Buddhist. It's like, well, you know, you did that like 30 years ago. You made that commitment 30 years ago. Why do you still go to church? You know, it's like, it's the same thing. I mean, the 12 steps are they're a spiritual way of living. And then, you know, it's like, I don't know. I, you know, when I go to work, it's like, I can't talk about the 12 steps. You know, I don't, I, those people, they don't know, they don't have to know, but I have to know, you know, I, it doesn't, it just doesn't go away. And in the big book, it says, you know, our, uh, you know, we have a, rep a reprieve based upon uh, the daily maintenance of our spiritual condition, you know, so I have to keep that up on a daily basis, daily basis. You know, I don't get to let it go because it's Saturday, you know, it's just, it's this, this day in and day out thing. And I feel, you know, I mean, I really wouldn't know how to live without the program. I wouldn't know how to live. I mean, I wouldn't, it would be vacant to say the least. And so anyway, it's like, um, you know, it doesn't bother me. You know, I really, I, uh, you know, my life is much richer and much, uh, much better. And I keep growing spiritually as a result of the program. You know, I'll never stop. You know, if I was asked to speak, you know, a year from now, I'd probably think, God, Anne, you know, last year, is that all you had to say? You know, but it's, it's uh, you know, it's just a consistent thing. You know, it's like I'll, I will need this every day for the rest of my life. And so I really don't get bored with it. So thanks. Okay. 
How do you deal with unrealistic expectations of yourself? I'm Hannah, still unrealistic expectations. I always wanted to have this perfect body. And you know what? There, too, is no such thing. As I mentioned before, Twiggy, I thought, was perfect while she was anorexic. But uh, today, I accept myself the way I am. And I like myself the way I am. And as I said, I'm 75 years old. And, you know, it was always that it was too big here, it was too big there. And today... I look at myself in the mirror, and that's something compulsive readers don't like to do, and I say, that ain't bad for 75. And then I get on my inversion unit because it's good for the back. I hear it crackle, and I say, it would be nice, you know, anti-gravity if some of the things that go down there, you know, would reverse. <laughs> but then I laugh about it. But I don't have the expectations anymore, and to me, the perfect body that was always what I wanted, and those expectations. But I know about it, and that's what's so wonderful. And when I see people, they're so unhappy with themselves. You know, they still expect, after punishing themselves for so many years, which is what I did, that we will get this perfect body. I got what I was supposed to, and that's okay. Thank you. Okay. How much would you say the rest of your action plan, if you have one, helps with your abstinence in addition to the food plan, part of your action plan? Not quite sure. Leave it here. It's Sherry. Well, you know, an action plan they're saying beside, you know, other than your food plan, um, I'm, I'm thinking how does it help with abstinence? And, you know, I'm not talking about a to-do list, um, but a real action plan is just something that uh, I think of is that's helping me um, reach maybe big goals, you know, and it's just the uh, action plan for today. For example, you know, clean out the garage. My husband and I have been meaning to do that for a long time, you know, and every day I could put on a to-do list, clean out the garage, you know, nothing ever happens. And I got bored with carrying it over to tomorrow's to-do list. But, you know, an action plan might be just putting down today, um, you know, today's action plan is just to, um, you know, take one section or one particular thing in it or spend a certain amount of time there. And that, that is a step toward, you know, definable action that's a step toward the big goal. And that might be on my action plan. And that certainly could help with abstinence because there's nothing that would drive me, you know, sooner to the food than the thought of having to clean out that whole garage, you know. That's all the time that we have for questions. Um, it is now time to close the session. Let's thank our speakers. And and all who have done service for the session, please stand and join hands as we close.
grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Keep coming back, it works. If you work it, so work it. Thank you. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, thank you. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah.